I want to invite you to open up your Bibles to uh, Ephesians chapter 2. I will be reading verses 11 through 22. Um, if you're new to the Bible and if you haven't, um, if you don't know where Ephesians is, you can find it in um, the table of contents in the beginning under the New Testament um, section. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from the citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the word of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. By setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations, his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of two, thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Jesus, you know my heart. You know my anxious thoughts. And still you love me. I pray for my friends here. Um, that you would come, that you would help them, um, that you would help me to be clear with your word. May your word come through beautifully as it is to your people. Amen. So I was saved um, from my sin. I trusted in Jesus uh, the summer before my senior year of high school. And it wasn't until high school that I could see that the Lord started to pursue me, but it wasn't until sophomore year that things really changed. So I played tennis growing up. Uh, I loved it. I played it all the time, and that wasn't super difficult to do living in California. Um, and so I ended up playing all four years um, uh, varsity tennis at my high school. But sophomore year, I decided to run cross country because cross country is a fall sport, tennis is a spring sport, and I thought hey, this would be a great, a great way to uh, cross-train and get um, in a better shape for tennis. Well, what happened was uh, most of the cross-country guys were Christians, and um, they all went to the same church. And the youth pastor at that church was the high school tennis coach at my high school. <laughs> so looking back, you can see that the Lord moving the pieces, and uh, you can see how he's wooing and drawing you to himself. And so I, as I look back, I think, wow, he was really doing something there. Well, um, I can remember uh, sophomore year um, having friends that tennis, friends in cross country. Well, the, the interesting thing about my high school was that the tennis guys were actually the, the really popular kids. 
And so I would go uh, on the weekends, I'd spend time with uh, the tennis guys, and then other weekends I'd go spend time with the cross-country guys. And so I had a foot in both worlds, so to speak. Um, and at some point during my sophomore year, I wanted to be with the Christians. And I can remember the day at lunch, sitting with my friends, thinking, I'm going to do it. So I got up, I walked across the quad, and I sat down with the Christians. And that was like, it was huge for me. Like I was changing identity at school. And um, because I wanted to be part of them, they, they pursued me, they wanted me, and um, I wanted to be part of something where people liked me for me and not because of for what I could do. And so um, that, was, that was, I wanted a people to belong to. And so when I look back, I can see that the Lord was doing things um, to get to get me to himself and also to bring me to a people that love me. Um, and I think that, that everybody has that, that same struggle. They want to belong. You want to belong to something. And, uh, but what we see in the world today is that millions don't. Millions don't belong. Whether it's our national kind of emergency crisis in the Carolinas where people are being displaced from their homes, or globally, um, there, I just learned uh, there's a Doctors Without Borders interactive tour downtown Minneapolis that's going on, and I learned that over 68 million people are being are displaced uh, in the world, which is tragic. Um, so we have a national uh, scene, a global scene, but what about the millions or maybe billions of people who feel alone internally, who they think, nobody knows me, I don't have anybody who's going to accept me. We are probably the most connected we've ever been in human history and probably the most alone at the same time. But the good news is, the good news is we can find hope in the Bible. And that's what we're going to look at today. At Ephesians 2, 11 to 22, we can find uh, an answer to this problem. So uh, I want to read verse 11 and 12. Um, I'm not sure if the slides will come up, but if you have a Bible, uh, take, a ver- take a look at verse 11 and 12 or just listen to my voice. So, therefore, remember that you formerly, that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, remember that at the time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. First, I want to draw your attention to that very first line. Um, the distinction that Paul makes between Jew and Gentile. Now, to say that there was um, some heated animosity between Jew and Gentile was an understatement. Right? These people hated each other. And that's not too hard to imagine, right? Especially on today, Sunday, like Viking fan probably doesn't really like Packer fan too much, and vice versa, Packer fan probably doesn't like Viking fan too much. Um, or uh, my father-in-law went to USC, the University of Southern California, but the UCLA people would call him uh, that he went to the University of Spoiled Children. Um, and likewise, USC didn't get along with UCLA very well. So the first USC football game I ever went to, I went to um, like a pep rally beforehand, and it's right in front of the, this building that has all their trophies, and it's awesome. And then their marching band comes through, and they're playing all their fight songs, and everyone's cheering and whatever. Um, and th- there's no words, right, because it's a band. But all of a sudden... The, the music is crescendoing, and I can hear, all the crowd says, 
UCLA sucks! And everyone cheered, yeah! And uh, I was like blown away. I was like, what is going on here? I, it was not, it was not uh, normal for me to be in that type of hostility. And the worst part is, we are such bad sports, right? Like if our team doesn't win, we take solace in knowing that, well, at least that team didn't win, right? Like, we want demise on the other team. You know, not, not just good for our team, we want bad on their team. And that's kind of like what it's like for Jews and Gentiles, like upfront animosity in your face. I do not want good for you. I want evil for you. I want bad for you. That's, that's what, we're, what we're talking about here. And I want you to realize, they, uh, the story of David and Goliath, listen to what David says about Goliath in 1 Samuel 17, 26. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Now, it sounds, uh, at first glance, okay, I don't know really what's going on here. But remember, circumcision happened to be like this huge deal to the Jews. And they weren't the only people that practiced it. There were other, the other peoples that practiced circumcision, but they like held on to it super firm because God uh, gave that as a symbol um, to Abraham and by extension, all Jews, that he was their God. And so by saying that you are uncircumcised, you're saying you are apart from the covenant of God. You are not God's people. And so when David says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Notice he didn't say, who is this Philistine? He said, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? Meaning, who is this guy who's apart from the covenant? So essentially, this is name calling, right? <laughs> He's saying, who is this guy? Um, so the first verse, verse 11 is a call to remember, because remember, Paul is writing a letter to Gentile believers, and he's saying to the Gentiles, remember who you were. You were not a part of this covenant. Let's read verse 12. Verse 12 says, remember that that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of promise, without hope and without God in the world. Listen again. Do you feel the weight of this? For the, for the Gentile believer in Ephesus, what would they have heard? Hear the, hear the descriptive words again. Separate, excluded, foreigners, hopeless, godless. It's weighty. Now remember, we're not talking about, the issue is not um, salvation, the issue is nearness to God. They're not near, they are not near God, they are far away. And not only was it hard for them because they were far away, but the Jews made it even harder. Because if you wanted to be near God, you had to become Jewish. You had to give up your ethnic identity and, be, and place yourself totally under the identity of, of, of the Jews. So, do you identify with the Ephesian church, with these Ephesian believers? Most of us, I would guess, in the room, I don't know, but I would guess most of us here are not from Jewish heritage. So if you place yourself in the story, this is you. This is your predicament. You're a Gentile believer who is far from God. There's only, in the, in the first three chapters of Ephesians, there's only one imperative, one command in the whole first three chapters, and it's right here. Remember. Remember that you are not Jewish. Remember that you are far away from God. But, but, verse 13 comes through in a glorious way. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Christ. 
again. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Isaiah 43, 1, 5 to 7. I want to I make this picture come alive to you, why verse 13 is so important. Isaiah 43, verse 1 and 5 to 7. But now this is what the Lord says, He who created you, Jacob, He who formed you, Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will bring your children from the east and gather you from the west. I will say to the north, give them up. Into the south, do not hold them back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who's called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. This is the God that you serve. He leaves heaven. He comes to get you from the furthest places on the world, from the north, south, east, and west. He will come and get you. He will ransom you by his blood. This is your God. And that's a good thing. Now, verse 14 and following is really, um, is really a section that unpacks verse 13. So we're going to look at it. But there's two things I want to I show you in, uh, in, verse, in these verses. Um, one is that Jesus brings, Jesus brings peace to us vertically with God first. And then second, he also brings peace horizontally between each other. Jesus, the main point of this whole path, the whole sermon, if you get it, if you can get it, the whole point, Jesus has broken every barrier to bring us peace with God and each other. Jesus has broken every barrier to bring us peace with God and each other. Verse 14, for he himself is our peace. Stop. Look back with me at the first few verses. There's a, there's a switch here. Paul's been saying, you, 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 and now all of a sudden he switches to our. Verse 11, you who are Gentiles. Verse 12, you were separate from Christ. Verse 13, you who once were far away. Verse 14, he is our peace. Remember, this is... this. Let's skip to verse 17 real quick. He came and preached peace to you who are far away and peace to those who are near, which means that even though the Jews were near, they weren't in. You could be far away, you could be close, but they weren't in. They were not in the covenant with God. God needed to do something. Jew and Gentile alike both need God. They both need Jesus to break down barriers to God. You see, the first thing he does is he breaks down that vertical barrier between us and God because we're all sinners. Because we chase what we want, because we don't love God with a full heart, the just wrath of God remains upon us, which means we do not have peace with God. His wrath is waiting for us. And this is the gospel that Jesus came. He came and he took that wrath. He put it on himself on the cross and he paid for it 
so that you could have peace with God. You can have peace with God. Jew, you can have peace with God. Gentile, you can have peace with God because of Jesus. Jesus put the wrath on himself. He took it. He suffered for it so that you might have peace with God. That's what he did first. Second, let's go jump back to 14. For he himself is our peace, who made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. The second thing he did, friends, he not only destroyed the barrier between us and God, he destroyed the barrier between each other. And we know this full well. We know how there's still hostility in the world. We can see it. We see it on news channels. We see it downtown Minneapolis. We see it. There is a problem, but Jesus solves the problem. He, can took, he took the Jews and the Gentiles who hated each other. He made enemies into brothers by his blood. Yes, his blood is that strong. His blood is so strong, it will make enemies into brothers. So first, he solves, he solves that he breaks that barrier to peace with God, and second, he breaks that barrier to peace with each other. How did he do it? How did he do it? Let's keep, keep reading. Um, he took down the wall of hostility. He destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. Did you know, I didn't know this before I, I prepped for the sermon, but did you know that in the temple, there was a five-foot wall that separated Jews and Gentiles, and there were signs on the wall that said, Gentile, if you go any further, you will be killed. There was a wall that separated in the temple, the place where God was to be worshipped. Gentile, you can only come so far. So when the Gentiles hear this in this letter, they're probably thinking about this type of wall. And this is the type of wall that Jesus destroyed. What wall, what barrier is keeping Jews and Gentiles separate? And how did he do it? 15, keep reading in verse 15. By setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. This one's a little tricky. And scholars have debated, okay, which regulations, which commands has Jesus set aside? Um, so I, I read a whole bunch of stuff about what a lot of people said. <laughs> but I can think of two from the Bible, for sure, that would have kept Jews and Gentiles separate from each other. One is circumcision, and two is food laws. See, to be Jewish required you to be circumcised. And there's, uh, in Acts 15, the Jews to Gentile believers said, hey, you guys are now believers, you need to get circumcised. And Paul and Barnabas said, no, 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 you don't need to do that. And there arose this dispute. And so Paul and Barnabas said, okay, let's go to Jerusalem, let's ask the apostles and get their word on it. And they discussed it, and they decided, no, Gentile believers do not need to be circumcised, which was huge, right? It's huge. Second, food laws. The Jews are required to observe certain foods. Certain foods were clean, certain foods were unclean. They were not allowed to eat them. In Mark 7, uh, Jesus tells a story. He says, nothing that you put in your mouth can defile you. Only the things that come out of your mouth defile you. Because the things that you put in your mouth don't go into your heart. They go into your stomach, and then they're, they're passed out, thereby making all foods clean. So in both circumstances, you have foods, all foods are now clean, which is what kept Jews and Gentiles separate. And this is huge because now Jews don't have, or <laughs> Gentiles don't have to become Jewish. They can keep their ethnic diversity and still be part of God's people. So, 
Let's read verses 15 and 16. We're, we're moving on with the text. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. So, he's not just making it easier for Gentiles to, like, sort of become Jewish. And he's not saying, hey, Jews, basically, you, can, you need to be Gentiles. He's not Jew. It's not Gentile. It's a third race. It's like a third race. And he took both of those, those peoples in this third race. He took their hostility they had toward God, the hostility they had toward each other, and he took it on himself. He suffered for it, and he killed the hostility. He's done. He finished it. He paid for it. Verse 17, 17 and 18. 17, we, we looked at briefly already. Um, he came and preached peace to you who are far away and peace to those who are near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. I want to point out to you the Trinitarian beauty of verse 18. Look at it. It says, we now have access to God through Jesus by the Spirit. I think of like a concert analogy. So Jesus bought you the ticket with the backstage pass. The Spirit is that burly security guard chaperone who takes you backstage and leads you to your destination, who is God. God is your destination. That's what he's doing here. Jesus has broken every barrier to bring us peace with God and each other. So, these are the first two sections of Ephesians. There's three sections. Um, who you were, what God has done, and third, who you are now. So, we've covered the first two sections, and I want to I run you through the five questions we've been asking. Do you remember? The first question is, what is the context? The context is... Uh, Paul, who is a Jew, is writing to Gentile believers um, who are far from God. The second question that we ask is, who's God? God is the one who wants peace with us but can't because of our sin. Question number three, what has he done? He sent Jesus to take the wrath so that we could have peace with him. Question number four, who are we now? Verses 19 through 22 is going to answer that question, and we're going to look at it next. And then the application, we're going to answer question five, which is how should we now live? So, section three, verses 19 to 22. Paul describes us now as citizens, family, and stones. So let's read verse 19 together. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. So, uh, the issue was they, they were not citizens of Israel. They weren't God's people, but now they are. And a citizen has extra rights, right? Like in our, in our country, you have the right to vote. You have extra rights. Citizen has rights. But don't think of this as like they're switching uh, their citizenship. It's more like dual citizenship. Like you're still a citizen of the USA or Nigeria or Russia or wherever, but you're also a citizen of heaven. Your greater citizenship now is with God. Um, 
So you remember the, uh, the verses in Isaiah that I, I talked about? It was in the Old Testament, and I didn't mention this earlier, but that was a promise that God made to Israel. So how can I say that you can claim that for yourself? This is why. And this is, this is huge. This is huge. Because you're now a citizen of God's people, everything that you read in the Old Testament where God is promising something to His people is now to you. Every promise to God's people in the Old Testament, as you read your Bible, when you read a promise that God talks, that He gives to His people, you can now claim because now you are a citizen. It's, 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 it's awesome. Next time you read your Bible, think about it. Second, second thing, we are now family. Paul describes us as family. So, citizens have rights, but children have privilege, right? They have direct access to the king. They have direct, direct access to daddy. Um, you know what else, else they have? They have brothers and sisters. So, the Christian next to you is not just a citizen with you. They're actually your brothers and sisters. Now, the third uh, analogy is stones, which is not going to be super easy for us to understand. Like, we can kind of get citizenship. We can kind of get family. But stones is a little more abstract. It's kind of weird. Let's read the rest of it, 20 to 22, and we'll talk about it. Verse 20, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. The original readers would have known for sure about the temple. The temple had stood for nearly a thousand years. The temple is where God was. The temple is where they couldn't get past a certain point. So that these Gentile believers would know what it means to be a stone in his temple. And this would have been shocking. Shocking. Because not only could they get to the temple, could they, could, not only could they be, uh, they are forced to the outside of the temple, now they are actually God's temple. They are actually stones in his temple where God lives. I want to show you something. This is uh, beautiful, the way Paul does it. The very beginning of this whole section, he's talking about Gentiles being far away from God, right? The, the intimacy is not there. Look at each of these patterns. Citizens. Citizens, right? You could picture yourself. You can, see the, you can see the castle. You're part of the town. You're in the town. And all these people around you, okay, these guys are citizens with me. But the castle's out there. He's my king. There's a level of intimacy there between, between me and the king and between me and you as a citizen. The next picture goes to uh, family, right? It's, it's even more intimate. It's not, it's not just that I can see the castle. I'm in the castle. I'm in the castle. I've got my own room. And not only do I, are these people citizens with me, I have brothers and sisters, and they have their own rooms. My room's overlooking the tennis court, right? And now, now he moves the intimacy up another layer, not only are you in the castle, which could have the west wing and the east wing, where you know dad's in there in his room somewhere, but you're actually in dad's room. You are where he dwells. You are the temple. You are where the spirit dwells. 
So the intimacy goes from citizen to family to the actual temple itself. That's the intimacy that God has for you, for you. That's what he wants. It's beautiful. So that's who we are now. We are citizens. We are family. We are stones. Notice too, uh, I forgot to say, these stones, they're not just, (laughs) you can't build a temple with one stone, right? You have to have other stones. And so we are together. We are brick and mortar together. It's not like you have your own room. You are right next to me, and I am right next to you. And together, together, that's where God's Spirit dwells. And so intimacy between us and God goes up as we go through these uh, descriptions. Intimacy between each other goes up as we look through these descriptions. It's awesome. So, where are we now? Applications. Applications. I have two. One is related to our peace with God, and one's related to our peace with each other. I want to ask you a question. What is Jesus like? What is he like? From these verses, what is he like? He's the one who leaves the comforts of heaven to come and get you. That's, who our, that's what our God is like. He leaves comfort to come and rescue you. I imagine uh, before the foundation of the world, um, God knowing that he would create us, that we would rebel, that we would hate him, and that he would have to do something about it. And I imagine Jesus saying, I'll go, Father. I'll go and rescue them, even though it's going to cost me dearly, even though they're going to hate me. I'll go and get them. That's what Jesus is like. And I want to try, in Ephesians 2.10, right before this section, remember from last week, it says, God prepared uh, good works for us to walk in, right, that we should walk in them. And then the next section, he talks about what Jesus does. I think that's curious. I've prepared good works for you. Now look what Jesus did. I don't think that's an accident because the good works that he has for us, I, I believe we're supposed to do what Jesus did. If Jesus left comforts to come and rescue people, let's leave our comforts and rescue people. Let's go out of our way, even if it costs us, even if we have to suffer. Let's go out of our way to try and break those barriers down to bring people to God. Let's be like Him. I hope you want that. I want that. But it's hard, and I've failed so many times. I mean, questions like, um, what are they going to think of me? Uh, I don't know what to say. Uh, What if they ask me something that I have no clue about, or I answer it wrong? Or, what if it's just awkward? You know, all those, all those reasons have stopped me in the past. Um, maybe you felt that too. But, but, Jesus is enough. Jesus is enough. I have one suggestion. One little thing you could do um, that could be helpful I want you, um, or my suggestion, application, is to choose someone different from you and pick a category, race, age, political, personality, somebody different, and have a meal with them. Just have a meal. It's, it's one small step, right, toward another person. Find out about them. Ask them questions. What are their hopes? What are their dreams? What things are keeping them from God? I found that um, if you pick somebody who you kind of regularly come across, it's a lot easier because usually someone that I see all the time, 
I already have a genuine affection for. Like, I already, I already want, they're good. You know, they're not just some random person. And so I'd encourage you, think about somebody who you come across who's different than you. And just have a meal with them. Just sit down. It's called table fellowship. Sit down with them, eat with them. Invite them to dinner, lunch, coffee, whatever. Um, and just see how it goes. Second application, peace with each other. We are a divided society, are we not? We are divided on a macro level, like there's, there's entire people groups that hate each other, and we're divided on a micro level, like I've got hostility, you could have hostility with your spouse, or your friend, a family member, or maybe even yourself. There's hostility still brewing in these vessels. So what do we do about it? How do we think about this? I want to give you an illustration from the movie Miracle uh, about the 1980 hockey team um, who went to the Olympics. They were uh, the best college players uh, in the country, and um, they were playing, uh, they, were, they were assembled and um, trying to play for Olympic gold, uh, and they were not expected to win. The Russians were, were super, super good. So as the team is developing and getting uh, closer to each other, a fight breaks out because these guys have been rivals, right? They've shared the ice for national championships, and there's bitter blood between them. And so as they're practicing, they're just going after each other. And, um, and the coach says, okay, we need to, you know, let's start to get to know each other a little bit better because this, this is not working. And so he asks them, what's your name? Where are you from? Who do you play for? And so you have guys say, kind of cocky, Jack O'Callaghan, Charleston, Massachusetts, Boston University. And it flips to another scene. Guys are skating, whatever, whatever. And then he says, hey, what about you? Who are you? And the guy says, Mark Johnson, Madison, Wisconsin, University of Wisconsin. And it flips to a few more scenes. And it, several guys, it goes through over and over and over. Well, fast forward, they play a warm-up game for the Olympics against uh, some national team. And they're getting, they're getting killed. And the coach overhears some of the guys on the, on the, on the bench saying, Oh, man, I can't wait to Zora. You see that girl in the third row? Oh, yeah, man, I'm, I can't wait to get out of here. And as punishment, he has them do uh, line sprints for hours. I mean, the, the people shut the, the power off to the building because they want them to leave, and they're still doing wind sprints. And uh, at the end, and the music is crescendoing, right? And the assistant coach doesn't want to do it, but he has to because the coach says, send him again. And at the end of it, one of the guys, fully winded, says, without, without being prompted, he says, Michael Ruzioni, Winthrop, Massachusetts. And the coach says, who do you play for? United States of America. That's all, gentlemen. And they get to go to the showers. You're on a new team. You're on a new team. You have something else to play for. You remember we talked about the already, not yet in other sermons. We're already, we already have peace with each other. Jesus has purchased it, bought it. He's broken the barriers, but we're still feeling it. Not yet. We don't yet have full peace with everybody. Not yet. The level to which you understand your own sin, the level to which you realize how far Jesus had to come to bring peace for you is proportionate to how far you're going to go to bring peace to someone else. So my application, my encouragement to you is this. The next time you feel hostility, whether it's with people group, people group, whether it's with your spouse, a friend, pray 
remember how far, how far away you were and how far Jesus had to come. Ask him to replace that hostility with peace and then go be reconciled to your brother or sister. Now, seeking those far, far away and seeking peace with each other is impossible apart from Christ. But there's good news because this is not our mission. He didn't just hand it over to us. This is his mission. He invites us into it, but he will accomplish it. It doesn't depend on us, which is very good news. He will do it. He will do it. He is worthy. Listen to Revelation 5.9. And they sang a new song saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain, and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. Jesus will do it. He will do it. Revelation 7.10, After this I looked... And there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. One day, hostility will end forever between peoples. Because you see that in this picture. It's a picture of all peoples worshiping the Lamb together. Hostility will end. He doesn't remove our ethnic distinctions. He embraces them. He makes us into a new humanity, and He, and he shows off the difference in our ethnicities. It's like a patchwork quilt. Everyone's different, but they're all there. Jesus has broken every barrier to bring us peace with God and each other, Worthy is the Lamb. Let's pray. Jesus, you are so worthy. Thank you. Thank you for coming. Thank you for coming and spilling your blood for us. You are worthy. Amen.